0: Love Talk Radio welcome back, welcome back, welcome back You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff I am your host Anthony Denmark, Denmark like the country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSweetSports.com. And since sports never stop, since sports never sleep, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, 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 welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, the one and only Anthony Denmark, Denmark like the country. As per usual, I am happy to be before you tonight, this morning, this evening, however, and whenever you're listening to us to talk about college football because guess what? Since time never stops, that means we have gone that much closer to week one of the 2017 college football season. We are now at 202 days. For all my avid football fans out there, I know that you are counting down the days just like me. But of course, we know that since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that we know that there's always things going on in the world of college football. And hey, I figure, why not talk about it? And instead of just having that conversation in the barbershop or amongst my peers in the courtroom or in the chambers, why not talk about it with you guys? So on tonight's show, we have a lot of things on tap. We're going to, of course, discuss the latest happenings around the world, around college football, and particularly we're going to be talking about today. I guess the topic of the shows today, each show has a topic, would be if you're not first, you're last. So, of course, who does that apply to? Of course, it applies to every team not named Clemson. And, of course, this also specifically applies to Alabama, which in spite of winning five championships in seven years, you know, they didn't finish first this year. Despite their embarrassment of riches on the defensive side of the ball, Despite their wealth of future NFL pro talent, they still did not finish first. So like Ricky Bobby's daddy said, if you're not first, you're last. And Alabama certainly finds itself in that situation going into this season. Now, of course, in the case of Alabama, we know that we can oftentimes find ourselves talking about a myriad of things that, of course, may oftentimes not be talked about with other prominent college football programs. So on tonight's show, we're going to talk about National Signing Day. And, of course, we will mention, we will briefly talk about, yet again, another number one recruiting class. We're going to talk about the story surrounding that number one recruiting class. So the story, of course, immersed in regards to an under-all American, a four-star defensive end who, had to choose the ultimately gray shirt in order to be able to uh, have his dream of being a crimson tie, something, of course, is a problem nowhere else in the country. We're going to find out the latest with that. In addition to that, we're going to talk about this revolving door of attrition at Alabama. Because, One of the things that I find often interesting is when you win, at times you find yourself often getting distracted by the thing that losing coaches, losing programs find themselves being immersed in. And attrition is one of those things. And when you look at Alabama, when you look at Nick Saban, when you look at the success of the program, at times you find yourself not looking at some of the problems that have occurred in Alabama because you see the recruiting stars, you see the future pros, and hell, you probably maybe be just too damn scared to even ask and say those questions to his face, despite his diminutive size. But the revolving door of offensive coordinators poses a serious concern. One of the most important hallmarks of a guard to a coach is consistency as well as stability, and particular juncture, at least on the offensive side of the ball. We're really in a state of uncertainty. Now, we expect, we presume, that because Alabama is Alabama, because Alabama has the stars that it does have, that it will not pose a problem, that you will just simply be able to plug in any offensive coordinator and keep the ball rolling. But you have to ask yourself this question. Has it gotten to a particular point? Has it gotten so bad now at Alabama in regards to Nick Saban that maybe he's going to have to change his philosophy? Because certain coaches just aren't going to be tolerated being treated like children. Now, of course, in the case of Lane Kiffin, he was a unique situation. He, of course, came in, needing to be rehabilitated, and because of that, you know, the antics that we saw happen with Nick Saber, we didn't see that happen with Coach Mack at Florida when he was the offensive coordinator or other coaches when they, of course, have spent their time as offensive coordinator at Alabama. But you have to say to yourself, as people start throwing around names, you say to yourself immediately, Chip Kelly, there's no way in hell that that situation is going to work out. Because I really don't see Chip Kelly, despite his desire to just focus on the offensive side of the ball, despite his desire to be able to finally be able to play with the and a wonderful array of recruits, of players with talent that, of course, he could only dream of during his time in Oregon, or in the case of San Francisco. Uh, But the Saban factor may be one of the factors that may find it that much harder for them to be able to find the offensive coordinator of their choosing, and may force them to have to settle, which is something that's very surprising when you consider Alabama. Could you imagine Alabama having to settle for an offensive coordinator? Could you imagine if Alabama has to not go with this first choice because that first choice is says, you know what, bro, I'm good. I I need my manhood, although I would like to shine. But it's going to be an interesting story to watch develop. Now, at this particular juncture at Alabama, they're already starting to do interviews. They interviewed – a NFL guy, Godsey, I believe his last name is. He, of course, had some time at Georgia Tech. He's currently right now serving in some type of offensive position with the Houston Texans. So he's up. Chip Kelly's already said, ah, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. But I wonder, you know, for me anyway, I felt like the easy answer is Johnny Napier. Now, of course, Napier may not, rattle the bells nationally. But Napier, of course, has been a long time under Nick State. He, of course, recently just left after uh, taking the offensive coordinator in the same position at uh, Arizona State. But I'm more than sure that he's more than happy to come back because, let's be honest, in the case of Todd Graham, one thing that we have to honestly say is that in the case of Todd Graham, we don't know how long he's going to be there. If it's either because he gets fired or it's either because he got himself another dream job, as in the case of what happened with him from Tulsa to Pittsburgh to Arizona State. So how is that whole situation going to play out? How, how long before another offensive coordinator gets added to the how does Clint? How does Alabama respond in the face of adversity? because some people say that now the big bully has been exposed. Well, we only find these answers out in time, and I'm excited to find out these answers because you look at this, and unlike other programs in the country, you can honestly, earnestly say that you know specifically in the case of Alabama that they are going to have the tools to be able to implement an effective offense. But the question is, Out of the seventh, number one recruiting class in the country for the seventh year in a row, what can we expect? So to get these answers and more, let's go ahead and get one of our guest callers on the line. His name is Clint Lamb. He covers the Alabama Crimson Tide to find out what's happening and what's up in Tuscaloosa because it has been very far from a boring moment. Welcome to the show.
1: How are you doing today, Anthony?
0: I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Now, of course, I'm more than sure that, like yourself, you enjoyed that wonderful marathon game with Alabama in regards to what they did on the basketball. But we do know that there's nothing like football, and we do know that we now have 203 days until football returns. However, until it does return, we have a lot of questions that have to get answered in regards to Tuscaloosa. It seems as if, it's a revolving door. What's going on with the offensive coordinator position? I mean, three, we're going to have our third offensive coordinator now what? Possibly four months?
1: Uh, yes, sir. Um, it's kind of been a revolving door the last couple of months, and I think right now Nick Saban and the rest of the coaching staff are just looking for some continuity in there.
0: Now, absolutely. Now, of course, you know, a lot of people, some of the big names, I briefly talked about it before, some of the big names just being tossed around our names such as Chip Kelly and also, of course, Mark Helfrich. And, um, but I don't hear many people talking about uh, Napier. Uh, what is the circumstance that uh, surrounded him leaving for Arizona State, and what is the likelihood of him possibly considering a return? I mean, Arizona State may be a great place to live, but you know that Todd Graham's status tenure at Arizona State is always up in the air.
1: Yes, sir, and that's something that, uh, you know, is going to have to decide for himself. But I do feel like the talent at Alabama, of course, would be a lot more to work with than he would have at Arizona State. Um, the only thing that I would really look at with him and why he might not consider uh, returning to Tuscaloosa would be, you know, what was his attitude leaving? Um, you know, he was kind of passed over a little bit. Um, the first time for, for the team to actually go with Steve Sarkeesian. You don't know if there was any kind of bad taste left in his mouth, and uh you know maybe some of the circumstances that surrounded his departure,
0: absolutely, of course, definitely when you speak of you speak of specifically about Napier. he'd been there for uh almost seven years, sir most of uh save his time at Alabama. he was passed over when Lane Kiffen took the job, he was passed over when Steve Sarkisian took the job, he was even passed over. I think maybe the 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 thing that did it was when Mike Loxley. Uh, was appointed as one of the associate uh, offensive coordinators. But nevertheless, whoever is the offensive coordinator, they, of course, are going to have a bevy of talent on the offensive side of the ball, both returning and also incoming. Specifically, when you look at this quarterback position, of course, we know about Jalen Hurts. We do expect him to make a lot of leaps and bounds, uh, Trent, into his second year. But tell my listeners a little bit about this guy from Hawaii, Tua Tagovailoa, who I actually flew all the way to Hawaii for a wedding and I had a chance to
1: see him play. He's an incredible talent. Um the comparisons to Marcus Mariota um, might be a little bit of a stretch at this, you know, point in time, but the the natural talent's definitely there. You know, he's not as tall as Mariota. Doesn't quite have the the speed um that Mariota brought to the table, but he is definitely a quarterback that can win from the pocket. I think if you took away his legs, uh, he'd still be an effective player. And, you know, with dual threat quarterbacks nowadays, that is not always the case. And we saw that kind of with, uh, with uh, RG3 while he was with the uh, Washington Redskins. Um, you know, Tua can, he has great arm strength. He can deliver to uh, all the different levels of the field. He can make every throw that you would ask of him. And uh, I think overall, uh, he's going to end up being a great player for Alabama moving forward. Absolutely. Now, of course,
0: there's definitely no shortage of talent at Alabama. However, we do know that probably one of the most important positions at Alabama uh, that they focus on specifically was the quarterback position. And, of course, uh, two uh, quarterbacks, Bateman and Cornwell, did transfer after the national championship game. However, one of the hallmarks of Alabama's team has always been his running game. And uh, I guess you could say this year the position was uncharacteristically thin even though, of course, you did have a three-headed monster. But you do have two talented running backs coming into this upcoming class. We do know, of course, that Najee Harris, much deservedly so, gets a lot of the headlines. But there is this other guy there. I hate to call him the other guy because this guy is just as dominant, just as impressive, and he's actually a guy, I believe, that's actually from Alabama. Uh,
1: Yes, sir. Uh, Brian Robinson, he's right there out of Tuscaloosa. Uh, he's got a lot of size. He's, you know, roughly six one, two hundred and twenty 220 pounds. And uh, he's a, a, a talented player in his own right. Um, he really doesn't get enough credit, and he's actually been overlooked in the recruiting class. But I most certainly uh, could see him making an impact uh, moving forward, even as early as maybe next year. It is a crowded position, but uh, he's a talented guy that can, you know, make an impact early on.
0: Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that uh, Najee Harris, He, of course, was an early enrollee. He recently, I think after he got there, literally, he went under the knife and got some surgery done. And also, we do know in the national championship, Bo Starball also suffered an injury. Just briefly update me on the status in regards to the health of both Bo Starball and also Najee Harris.
1: Um, You know, as far as Bo, um, he, he suffered a broken right leg in the national championship game. And, uh, you know, his status heading into next season, he should be fine. He should be fully recovered. And I would fully expect him to uh, to be the lead back heading into fall camp next year. The main problem with Scarborough is the fact that uh, injuries have taken their toll on him uh, even before he, you know, became known as the guy in that Alabama backfield. And I actually have kind of wondered – if that had contributed to the fact that he wasn't um, relied on heavily early on. I don't think uh, necessarily that at this point in time his body would hold up to the type of workload that a guy like Derrick Henry had back in 2015. Um, As far as Najee Harris, I mean, you know, he had the torn meniscus. Uh, That's typically, I think, a four- to six-week timetable recovery, and so he should be ready to go uh, by even spring training. you know, he's a guy that I think is going to, of course, compete from day one. He is the most talented running back prospect to come to Alabama since Trent Richardson. And, of course, you know, he was uh, a little bit of a bust in the NFL, but we all knew uh, what Trent Richardson was during his time in Alabama. He was an extremely talented player. And um, I, I would expect, you know, a similar production as far as numbers was from a guy like Najee Harris um, within the next couple of years.
0: Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Clint Lamb. He uh, writes for uh, alabamatouchdownmagazine.com. Now, specifically, I know we know that offense oftentimes sells tickets, but we do know that defense does, I guess we could say in this year anyway, puts you in a position to possibly win a national championship. Now, the Alabama Crimson Tide did lose a lot of players uh, to the draft as well as to graduation. Although, uh, I mean, you see Reuben Foster, who, in my opinion, reminds me of Dick Buckets. You, of course, lose Allen. You, of course, also lose a lot of the talented edge rushers and Anderson and also the young man from uh, New Orleans. Who do you see in this up-current recruiting class that may be poised to uh, possibly become difference makers
1: quickly? Uh, You know, two guys definitely come to mind, one offensively and one defensively. Uh, offensively, I think a guy by the name of uh, Jedrick Wills. He was a, a four-star offensive lineman, uh, f- a five-star, actually, according to some recruiting services. Uh, and he had you know offers from a lot of major programs such as Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, all the major programs, I guess you'd say. He's extremely physical in the trenches. He can move people in the run game. Um, one thing about him, and this is where I could potentially see him making an early impact is kicking inside to offensive guard. Um, I think he's like 6'4", 6'5", I think 318 pounds, and he's very physical. And I think that physical uh, ability would be better served on the interior of Alabama's offensive line. They have a spot opening up at right guard that's being vacated by uh, Corin Curvin, who has since graduated. And so I could definitely see him coming in and competing even from day one to maybe start at that right guard spot. Uh, as far as defensively, the number one guy that comes to my mind, at least, would be Isaiah Buggs. Um, he's a five-star prospect, was the number one JUCO defensive end, and he was definitely a major priority for both Nick Saban and the rest of the coaching staff. Um, he, I think, he chose Alabama over uh, his in-state school of LSU. And you know, he's the type of guy. He's very advanced as far as his ability to stay under control and play assignment football. And he's got a non-stop motor, um, and I think where you could see him make an immediate impact along Alabama's defensive front would be in the run game. He's a lot more developed as a run defender as compared to you know a pass rusher, um, much like I guess you'd say someone like A. Robinson was a couple of years ago. Now he's not as big as A. Sean Robinson, um, but you know A'shaun was able to provide a, a physical presence inside along the defensive line, while also providing a little bit of a pass rush, and with the loss of you know, Ashawn Robinson and Jeron Reed from two years ago and then Dalvin Tomlinson this past year, they could really use that big physical presence next to Jeron Payne, you know, next year and uh, in the future. So it, I could definitely see someone like uh, Isaiah Bugs making a pretty big impact, you know, early on.
0: Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know, like, unlike other programs in the country, uh, Alabama oftentimes has the luxury of uh, – a lot of his five-star freshmen oftentimes get most start off on special teams. We know Reuben Foster, of course, did that. Humphreys as well did that. So I'm more than sure that probably uh, we can easily say that uh, Alabama will have the best, most talented coverage team in the country, as I'm more than sure that Dylan Moses will possibly also do that as well, as well as Ben Davis, who's returning from uh, – ha- who had a redshirt season. But I do want to ask specifically, now, of course, we do know that – on National Signing Day, there's always stories. There's always headline grabbers. Of course, in years past, there was a situation with Landon Collins, his mother, who didn't want him to sign there. Uh, other other places we know about uh, Mr. Collins, the uh, the other Collins, who ultimately ended up signing with Arkansas despite his mother not wanting him to. And this year, we had an issue happen, a very, very tough thing to happen in Watson View uh force when uh four star defensive end uh Parks. He wanted to go to Bal- Alabama, but I guess he waited too long and he had the gray shirt. Now what's the status of Jurass Parks and uh, do you see him possibly uh being able to be a contributor or possibly being able to get a scholarship uh, before uh practice starts?
1: I don't believe so. I think the numbers game just didn't work out for him this year. And that's very rare to see with a guy uh, with his kind of talent. Um, he was a four-star prospect, um, rated just inside the top 100 according to 247 Sports and just outside of the top 100 when it came to rivals. Um, and like I said, you know, you just don't see that too often, but what it came down to was it was just a numbers game. Uh, earlier in the day, uh, five-star prospect LeBron Ray, was making his uh, official commitment, and you know, once he was, you know, decided to roll with a Todd, um, that just left the, the, the spots remaining fairly limited for Jerez, um, and you, you kind of see that sometimes with some of these kids nowadays. Uh, it's completely understandable. Uh, they definitely want that big ceremony at their high school where they get to pick the school of their choosing, have the hats laid out, and and that's great. Um, but with a school like Alabama, there's a lot of talented kids that want to go there. And, you know, as far as him de- kind of delaying his commitment, um, you know, it ended up hurting him, and I hate it for him, but I still think he's going to be uh, an excellent addition come next January. He's a guy that he's got excellent bursts off the edge. Um, he delayed, He displays some bend in his game. Uh, he's very talented as far as he can play in space. Um, you know, he's very flexible in how you are able to use him. And I would definitely expect him to make an impact sometime on the line for the Crimson Tide.
0: Absolutely. Of course, we all always wish nothing but success for these young men as they embark on the next chapter of their life. I'm more than sure that he can possibly use this as a sizable chip, use it as a source of motivation. And it's definitely a, going to be a compelling story to watch. Going forward Now of course I do want to ask you Just one particular question I talked about it in the opening of my show I do wonder you know, When you look at the attrition Of uh, offensive coordinators And also I guess you look at the attrition Of just the the staff overall At Alabama I have to ask you specifically At what point do we have to hold Nick Saban accountable For how he's treating his staff Because some people just aren't going to stand For being yelled at and humiliated
1: in front of 100,000 people. Um, I I definitely think you make a good point there, and I think that it's something that that Nick Saban is going to have to look at himself uh, in the mirror and kind of decide how he wants to approach uh, his coaching staff moving forward. Um, You know, it's a tough situation, and I completely understand that. From what I've been hearing, um, the whole, you know, Steve Sarkeesian to the Atlanta Falcons – could have been in the works as early as before he even joined the coaching staff at Alabama. Um, when I look at the situation in the national championship game, and the fact that the defense was on the field for close to 100 plays, I really think that that was uh, rather eye-opening uh, for Saban and how he wanted to approach um, the offense schematically moving forward. And I think that's where we kind of, you know, there have been rumors that there was some philosophical differences between Sarkeesian and Saban. And that's what ultimately led to um, him departing for the Falcons. And to some degree, I think that is true. Um, I think what Saban wants to do is get back to a more ball-controlled power offense, um, physically wear down opponents, run clock and things of that nature. And, of course, that's not the style of offense that a guy like Steve Sarkeesian uh, or even you know guys like Chip Kelly or Mark Helfrich, uh are going to run. I think that's a big reason why we've heard um, George Godsey's name uh, emerge. You know he would absolutely bring that. He was the former offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans, and he was kind of recently made the scapegoat uh, for a failing offense in Houston that wasn't really his fault. Um, but you know, as far as Saban, I think that with the current personnel. It's definitely, over the last couple of years, been more so um, developed to handle the spread system, uh, the up-tempo style offense. And me personally, I think that they would you know, be much more successful next year and moving forward by sticking with that. I think you've committed to it, and I think that's why a guy like um, Helfrich or Chip Kelly would be an excellent addition to the coaching staff. But it's a matter of, you know, what's going on in Nick Saban's mind. And none of us really know that at this point. But from everything I've heard, he's really wanting to try to move back to that traditional offense to try to keep his uh, defense off the field as much as possible because that is what made Alabama very successful from the time he got there in 2007 until recently.
0: Absolutely. It's definitely going to be a very intriguing story to follow. I, for one, am excited. We are now 202 days until – Florida State, Alabama, I'm more than sure that a lot of things are going to happen. A lot of changes are also going to occur. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely want to have you on throughout the off season as well as uh, during uh, the season to talk about the Crimson Tide because we know that it may have been first. They may have finished short of first this year, but we know they're poised to redeem themselves in 2017. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Anthony. You have a good day.
0: Now, of course, one of the things that's oftentimes interesting is specifically, you know, one of the things that happened with Nick Saban is Nick Saban ultimately had to change his offense in order to modernize it, in order to make his team a more viable threat in the changing college football atmosphere. However, either unbeknownst or we do know that he was aware of it, that oftentimes that by changing the offensive philosophy, it did, of course, expose his defense. And, of course, that's what happened twice. It happened in the first time that they played Clemson, and they somehow won. And it also happened in the second time that they played Clemson, and they lost. And so since you know that teams like Clemson aren't going anywhere, and since you know that other opposing teams are now aware of the most effective way to diminish the effectiveness of the Alabama. That's a truly one if now Nick Saban is now having second thoughts. But you do realize that it also poses a considerable problem because now the offense of pieces that you have aren't similar in size, aren't similar in ability to the players that Nick Saban had when he was running a more dominant run dominant offense. So we're going to see how this whole thing ultimately ends up playing out. I truly believe that Clint is actually correct because it's a very tough balance to have to try to enforce because you know that you're going to have to recruit players to be able to fit into a search system. You also know that the players that you have available now, committed to your school, committed to your program to play in a certain system. And also, you do realize that since your expectation is now literally championship of us, you have to be able to find a way to find some type of balance in a way that helps your defensive, defensive line. Although, of course, we do know in the, after the first Clemson matchup, Alabama's team got smaller in an effort to try to deal with more snaps. So you ask yourself, how is this defense, how is Alabama's offensive philosophy going to impact the product that we're going to see be rolled out in 2017? Because unlike other programs like Clemson, who have warm-up games against Kent State, no disrespect, Alabama's first game was in Georgia versus Florida State who's going to probably try to some of the same similar offensive elements in order to, one, maximize their offensive snaps and also in an effort to reduce or or diminish the uh, effectiveness of the Alabama Crimson Tide defense. But, again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, of course, we are also definitely going to see What's up? Now shifting from roll tide, let's go ahead and specifically talk about some of the other latest news that happened in college football, at least this week. As we saw that Michigan State had to suspend three players, in my opinion, for acting stupid. They of course were suspended because they spit in somebody's face downright beyond being disrespectful. Now, of course, we're going to be intrigued to see how this situation ultimately ends up playing out. Again, we do understand and accept that these kids are kids, despite their massive size, despite their impressive speed. These young men are still trying to grow. So I wonder how Mark D'Antonio is going to handle this situation. Oftentimes, Mark D'Antonio has never been one to be shy about disciplining his players. He makes no excuses about it. I remember he disciplined Darquez Dinar, his All-American. He disciplined his other member of the no-fly zone as well. So we do know that at Michigan State and East Lansing that there is nobody beyond being disciplined, nobody above the program. And in this particular program in the state of Michigan, we do know that Michigan State specifically finds itself in a very precarious situation after a very disappointing season on the football field and also a very disappointing showing, at least at this particular juncture on the basketball court, you say to yourself, man, Michigan State cannot wait for the 2017 season to begin. We, however, do hope that these young men are able to learn from their mistakes, but that's just a mistake that you should know From as it comes down to home training. You know not to spin in people's faces. So we're going to see how that situation ultimately ends up being played out. Now transitioning to other news. Now another thing that I found often compelling is Bart Starr, the former president of Baylor, who was initially resigned but was able to continue at the law school and then eventually retired from the law school after a horrible scandal that completely rocked the entire Baylor program, not just football, but Baylor, as well as the city of Waco. It seems as if he's getting a promotion, as he's now being vetted to get a position on President Donald Trump's administration. I just wonder when that vetting went on. I wonder, truly wonder where do you go in regards to questioning his decision-making, his reasoning, his character, And what factor the whole Baylor scandal plays in that situation. Because I don't understand how we could do any type of vetting and not at least consider those factors and deciding that this guy just may not be the right guy for the job. But again, we're gonna see what's happened. And of course, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now what else is going on? Well, also we got news today that Gene Shiznick just sporadically stepped down as a defensive coordinator at North Carolina. Now, oftentimes, you know, I've been saying this thing called moving day because at moving day is a time where coaches find themselves going from job to job, transitioning from one program to another, either for an opportunity at a raise or for an opportunity to find themselves putting themselves in a position to get a more prominent position in an effort to scale the long, extensive ladder to one day becoming a head coach. But in the case of Gene I think that we have to make sure, and at least me anyway, is I find myself being more sensitive because I find myself saying to myself that whenever you see somebody abruptly resign and then the, the reason for the resignation is due to a family issue, then you know that there may be a concern health-wise So although, of course, it has not been reported, I, for once, myself, send my prayers out to Gene Chizik and his family. Although football, of course, is something that is important, at least to fans, we do know that there's nothing more important than the overall well-being and the overall health of an individual's family. So we do wish him and his family our prayers. And, of course, we do know that his contributions to the UNC football program has been immense. After of course winning a national championship in Auburn, he of course then took the defensive coordinator job and did a fairly impressive job. So we're going to see how that situation ultimately ends up playing out. I for one, if I'm Alabama, I find myself rolling my eyes, I find myself annoyed because I know that yet again it's possible that another foot another member of my staff may find itself making that transition going from Alabama to going to Tar Heel Nation. But again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, let's see what's happening. And, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, one of the other interesting stories that I found today that's not being covered, and I make it my duty, my calling, to always try to bring to you guys things that may have found itself not generating enough buzz but nevertheless being very compelling, is... The second-leader receiver at Texas, Jake Oliver, he just retired from college football. He's, of course, already graduated. Congratulations. And he just said, you know what, it's just time for me to move on and do something else with my life. So he's excited about his future, and he's preparing for what lays ahead. And I say to myself, you know, when this happened in the NFL, when players abruptly retired, Initially, did not generate much news. But what we're starting to see is people become more well-informed about the risks of CTEs, the risks of concussions, the risks of massive injuries. You start to see that players are starting to make more conscious decisions, thinking with their future in mind. Now, in the NFL, you say to yourself, these guys, of course, have at least gotten some type of compensation to be able to secure their overall well-being for generations to come. However, when you see Jake Oliver make such a responsible decision, you say to yourself, how many other young men out there who've already got their degrees, who've already gotten into a position where they're not going to, they're going to be leaving college debt free, will say to themselves, the likelihood of me possibly being able to go to pro is slim to none. Do I really want to continue to, at risk, for additional injuries that may impact me for the rest of my life if, in fact, I've, one, already gotten my degree, and, two, if I already know that the prospects only increase of me possibly getting a CTE or a possible injury that may impact me for the rest of my life. So I wish Jake Oliver nothing but the best, but it's definitely a very compelling story to be able to follow. And I wonder how many other young athletes, after they get that reality check, that, you know what, the NFL may not be where you'll be once you leave college, and you think about the pain that you may have endured, the enormous amounts of surgeries that you've already incurred during your time in college, maybe the threat or maybe the fear of getting additional concussions, those are some significant factors to actually ultimately end up weighing. And Jake Oliver doing it at a college level, something that's simply amazing. Will this start the trend? Like I always say, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, we are definitely going to see what's up. Now, speaking on Texas, now, I'm all for a person trying to do things to improve their program but I'm not really one for making excuses. So when I heard or read that Tom Herman said that the facilities at Texas and college football program in the country, the most profitable college football program in the country, needed to upgrade his facilities in order to attract recruits, I couldn't help but roll my eyes. I couldn't help but say to myself, is this guy already making excuses? Now, we know that, of course, that Charlie Strong, the former coach of Texas, definitely struggled on the field. But you know where he thrived at? He thrived at recruiting. You know what Matt Brown thrived at? He thrived at recruiting and a little bit of coaching too. And I'm saying to myself, Tom Herman seems to already have gotten the book on excuses and is playing them at every turn. In response to people criticizing him for his, less than impressive recruited class. He now says that he needs to upgrade the facility. I don't know when your facilities are some of the best in the country. I don't know how do you improve those. However, we do know that one thing that Tom Herman does, he definitely does have the gift for GAP, and he definitely does have a way of motivating and improving teams in a short span of time. Now, we saw what he did during his time in Houston in just a short period of time with players that other programs thought were not big enough, thought were not fast enough, thought were not talented enough. So it's going to be very intriguing to see what he does. With this Texas program that has a lot of future pros, not just one Ed Oliver, but several Ed Olivers on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball. Now, of course, Of course, we do know that Tom Herman said that no position is set in stone. So it's going to be a very compelling story to watch go on throughout this season, the off-season, off-season training, and all those other things. Please, for the sake of your program, Tom Herman, you saw where Willie Taggart down in Oregon screwed up with his off-season conditioning program. For the sake of your own reputation, Tom Herman please do not do the same. Now, of course, as I bring my show to a close, I can again say that I'm excited. Like I say, with college football, there's always things going on. I know it's basketball season. I know March Madness is going around the corner. I know that you're watching the UCLA-Oregon game like I am right now. I know that you just got through watching Duke and UNC, but you know what? When I watch those games, I see college football. When I see UNC play, I see LSU. Talented team, year in and year out, but still not talented enough. When I see Duke, I see Stanford, a team that you know is not going to beat itself, that's always going to put itself in a position to win. When I see Oregon, I see Oregon. (laughs) When I see UCLA, I actually still see UCLA. Just like you have Lorenzo Ball, you also have chosen Joe Rosen. So college football is everything. And I'm more than sure that I'm not alone. But, again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday and sometime Wednesday and sometime Saturday. Thank you guys for listening. And remember to stay tuned to sports because college football is everywhere. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at EatDrinkSleepSports.com Until next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.